I was raised not to try to like lighten a mood. The mood doesn't need lightning, not to try to make light of something, but to be receptive to the natural light in situations. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Nora McInerney, founder of Still Kickin' and host of the podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking. Nora is an award-winning author on Handling Grief, where she shares her experience and advice after losing her husband to cancer at age 31. Now, her social benefit organization, Still Kickin', helps bring financial resources to people handling grief to put towards whatever they most need in that moment. Before we get started, I do want to share a trigger warning that this episode will talk about death and miscarriage. If these are topics you're sensitive to, please check out another episode. Now today, Nora is going to share her story and practical financial advice for people handling grief, which starts with, don't expect things to be normal. Grief brain is a real thing. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Nora, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Nora for the complete show notes and to download your free financial emergency preparedness checklist. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Nora, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thank you for having me, Chelsea, and for being so patient while I respond to your email with, what is that now? (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have you back. We had you speak at the Mama's Talk Money Summit in 2020, which was a ton of fun, even though the topic was about grief, which is always not the topic that we think of as fun. Speaking of things that might not be what people think about and making this fun, what is the Hot Young Widows Club? Oh, the Hot Young Widows Club is a peer I guess it's a peer support group. It really started out as like a a social group. I was widowed at age 31. I met my friend Mo, who was a couple years older than me, who had been widowed just a few months before me. And we were sort of forced into a friendship because we had both experienced something so unusual for our age group. It started as just the two of us, and then it grew into this international collection of men and women, people who were married or just partnered or gay or straight, just a a collection of people who had lost their person, their romantic person, their love. Now we are obviously all online, (laughs) all online for the foreseeable future, but it is a really, really lovely group of people. You can be any age. I just think calling yourself a hot young widow is hilarious. No matter what age you are, we have We have all kinds of people. That's the question people always ask me. Like, what if I'm not hot? I'm like, one, first of all, I think you are no matter what. (laughs) And and I hope you think you are too, but it's just a funny name. It's just a funny name for a sad thing. You have a lot of that in your content, right? You have your podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking, which is one of my favorite (laughs) podcast names. It's okay to laugh. Crying is okay too is another one of your books. And so how do you bring a different angle to a lot of this grief topic and how did it play into your own story? I I don't even know if I think of it as an angle. I think that although everybody has a point of view and wherever you are is a point of view. The first book that I wrote, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, was written in the six months after my husband died, which is bananas to say out loud, right? That sounds absolutely bonkers. Who would do that? Well, I did it. And I did it because I think it's easier to, not easier, but it's just different. It's different to recount something or reflect on something 
that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, than it is to, to reflect on something while you are in the middle of it. I am very aware that there is a line with humor. I don't, I don't, I'm not like, let's find the funniest thing about having a miscarriage because it wasn't a funny, you know, that the fact that I had a miscarriage wasn't funny. The fact that I walked out of the doctor's office to tell my dying husband who was waiting in the car, who had left the car running and then the, the engine died also. And so we couldn't get to go see my dying father on the other side of town. Like it was just this there are moments of just absurdity and levity in these horrible situations. And I was married to a person who naturally found those, you know, when he was going in for brain surgery and yes, it was the drugs that, that he was on, but who said about the probably like 70 year old nurse, like when she said, now, are you completely naked under that gown? He said, ma'am, I'm married. And, (laughs) and like, that's just, that's the, that's the environment that, I lived in. That's also the way that I was, I was raised not to try to like lighten a mood. The mood doesn't need lightning, not to try to make light of something, but to be receptive to the natural light in situations. And I do think that is a fine line. You can always tell when you are in it, when somebody is trying to make light of something versus experiencing those little cracks of light in a really dark time. And I try to do the latter, not the former. So we touched on little pieces of that story, specifically in the miscarriage with your husband dying and your dad being a dying as well. Can you tell everybody what happened? What was the story? The condensed version is that I lost my second pregnancy at 11 weeks and six days. Just and anybody who is or has or has hoped to have a baby knows that you feel, even though you know it's it's completely irrational, right? Like all you gotta do is get to that second trimester, right? All you gotta do. And so part of me is like, what if I just didn't go to the doctor till the next day? What would have happened? What would have happened as if uh, nothing, nothing different would have happened, but nothing would have happened. Yeah. Nothing different. So I lost my second pregnancy on October 3rd. My husband, Aaron had had brain cancer and been treated for brain cancer for three years. And we, it was not going well. We knew it was not going well. He had started to lose function in half of his body. Things were getting very, very dire. My father had just been diagnosed with cancer and was doing very poorly. He was in the ICU on the other side of town. My dad ended up dying five days after I had my DNC. My husband died six weeks after that. It was, right, it's just like, I know, I'm sorry too. It's just this, it was just a, a constant crash of awful things. And that was six years ago. And sometimes it feels like it just happened. And sometimes it feels like I'm talking about somebody else's life. But those, those are my big losses to date. So far, those are my big losses. All within a two month period. All within two months. Yep. You have a, you had a young son at the time too, as well, right? Yeah. He was almost two when his dad died. So now he's eight. He just turned eight. Any one of these losses that you talked about would be incredibly difficult for everybody to have them all at once and then be caring for a toddler. What was that like? How did you get through? I mean, you also wrote a book in yeah. the six months that have followed it. So, but how did you get through those, especially those early days? Very poorly. A lot of avoidance, a lot of compartmentalization, a lot of shock. Shock is a beautiful gift our brain and our body give us, right? Where they just wrap up all that trauma and they say, look, I'll, I'll hold on to this for a minute and I'll hand it to you in maybe four years when you're just 
standing in a grocery store and death cab for cuties, I'll follow you into the dark comes on and all of a sudden you're bawling by the onions. It's That's how I got through it. It was just pure, pure shock and a lot of kindness from a lot of people, a lot of kindness from a lot of people. I'm glad I wrote the book when I wrote it because otherwise I would have very few. And I'm also glad I kept journals because otherwise I would remember nothing. I was just on total autopilot. The fact that I did write a book was a great way for me to figure out what I was going through, what I was feeling, and also a pretty good way of avoiding sitting with any of it for too deeply. I could sit with it while I was writing about it, and then I could shut my computer and be like, well, glad I felt that. Let's let's go on. I look back and I think, I don't know how Ralph survived that first year, other than our daycare was right next door. My neighbor was our daycare lady. I would sleep until like I mean, I wouldn't fall asleep till like three in the morning. So I would wake up at like maybe nine and he would just be laying next to me, staring at me. And I'd stand up and get him dressed and feed him and then walk him next door and then come back and lay back in bed. People would bring us meals and and I don't know. I don't know how I got through it. People think that denial is saying like, no, my husband's not dead. No, denial is living as if nothing has happened. And I tried to live as if nothing had happened when really there were doors in my home that I could not open. There were places in the city I could not go and I avoided being home. I am now in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where I live. I flew down here a couple weeks after Aaron died and I'm in his sister's house right now. <laughs> and and I stayed, I stayed with his sister for weeks. I slept in her daughter's room with my, my son and her daughter slept in the office. <laughs> And I just, I don't know, I just, I stayed away from as much pain as I could. And that was not a good way of doing I don't recommend that. What do you recommend? So we actually have, unfortunately, a lot of women that come into our community after they've lost a partner and they want to know, you know, what to do. They're looking for financial stability, of course, right, in this community, but also just like, how do I get through this? And so what would you recommend? I mean, I recommend that first year that you have zero expectations of yourself. I do recommend that you find a peer group. The High Young Widows Club is open to you, but you find a group of people who have been through something similar. You sit with this pain, even when it's uncomfortable. None of your friends get it. I fully understand that. None of your friends get it. Their husbands are alive. It's awful. It's so wrenching to watch their living husbands pick up their babies and do dad stuff. It's horrible. That first year, all you need to do is survive it. There's nothing else that you need to do. And I thought I had to be the world's best widow. I was an inspiration machine for everybody around me. And no, that is not your responsibility. And I need you to be so patient with yourself and so kind with yourself. And I need you also to remember that the people in your life who have not been here, they want to help you. There's like an adage somewhere. I wish I if there is a source for it, somebody please let me know. But it's basically, what is the adage? Like you don't take directions from people who haven't been where you've gone. And yes, now everybody has GPS. Anyone can tell you how to get somewhere. But no, they cannot. I'm not taking shoulds from anybody. And anybody who has been where you've been would never tell you like, well, this is what you should be doing. No, 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 no. We especially don't look for guidance from people who have not who have not been to this specific a part of the uh, heartbreak archipelago on this specific island <laughs> in, the, in the tragedy archipelago. You could tell that I've, uh, I've learned uh, or I've revisited, I'm rereading the eyewitness books to my children and, and just dropped a landmass 
vocabulary word on you guys. This is actually, let's talk about the finances for a second. So when your husband passed, what was your financial situation looking like? Where were you working? Bad. So (laughs) bad. We were both working full time. We were like many people living paycheck to paycheck, even though like we made plenty of money, but there's no shame in this world. (laughs) There's, there is, there's so much shame in it. He, he got sick and we were like, and his, one of the first things he said to me in the hospital is how will we pay for this? How will we pay for this? And it's like, he'd just been told he had a brain tumor and he was worried about like insurance, worried about money. We worked full-time, both of us constantly. We did IUI because he was radioactive. So right as soon as we found out, we got him over to the sperm bank. He watched that terrible porn and we got like, you know, three vials or something. Cause you can't even do, you have to wait and then do, you can't just go back to back. Like you got to get the best. Had IUI not worked, there would have been no pregnancies because we went to the fertility doctor and they slid that, you know, the laminated sheet of paper across the table and you look at it and you're like, I'm sorry, what? This is so much. Oh my goodness. And we were like, do you have a option for people who don't have this many digits in their foreseeable future? And he was like, yeah, we can just, I was like, could you just put it in me and hope for the best? And that's what we did. That's IUI. I mean, you know, we each had like a 401k. We counted that as a savings account. He was so lucky, so lucky to have a job that maintained his employment through that. So, so lucky to have pretty decent insurance, but that's still, it's not free. Okay. It's not free. It adds up. It adds up when you go to the hospital once a month. And then at some points, once a week, when you take several rides in an ambulance, when you have two brain surgeries, when you do two rounds of rate, like two sets of 30 days of radiation, it's just, it is a lot. It's a lot. We ended up short sailing the house that he had bought when he was single before we met. He had some sort of awful mortgage that he had gotten in like so many people in like 2007, where it turned out he wasn't even paying on the principal. He had no idea. He was a creative. Okay. But also that happened to so many people. It happened to so many people. And he thought he was doing well because he had been approved. By the way, he was making $50,000 when he bought that house. He'd been approved for a $600,000 mortgage. Are you kidding? Oh my gosh. He bought a $200,000 house, which was, I mean, you walked up to it and you were like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, no. Like this house is six, $7 total. No, no, no. Terrible. Terrible. Love that man. That house was a wreck. So he was so underwater on that. I remember realizing that and being like, we've got to get out of this. This house will ruin us. This house will sink us. Short sailing feels like a cheat. I, honestly, there's so much about the financial system that it feels like crooked and terrible and awful, but it ended up being slightly better for us than defaulting on the home. We lost that house. When he died, he, he had like, you know, the life insurance you get from just having a job where it's like $20,000 and you're like, great. That goes real fast. That's like a funeral. That covers a funeral. And also you don't get it for a while. So you're like, oh, home health care is very expensive. And here is where truly luck and privilege come into play is that no matter what, I was not going to end up on the street. I was not. I was not. We do not come from like wealthy families, but we come from baby boomer households where our parents have been living low and saving high as much as they could. My parents actually made a ton of money mistakes, which they love to regale us with. They're like, then we, then we bought another terrible house that sank into the ground. But it's good that they tell you. They told us and they were very, very critical of all real estate purchases. They were very, they were like, you have got to think about it. It's not for everybody. It's not like this mad dash to own a home is often foolish. Like houses are 
it's not like you buy it and then it's free. You buy it and it falls apart in front of your eyes. It's it's crazy. I'm not a financial person, but it's we had an ice dam three days after we bought our house, which meant that we had a leak like through three floors of the house. It was terrible. It was terrible. No. So terrible. And then you're mad. At, I was always like mad at myself and then mad at my partner. I was like, what? How did you not know there'd be an ice dam? Like in the mad at like the world. I'm like, why would the ice sit there when it could drip down a different way? It's just so, <laughs> you're so helpless. You're like, and now, I don't know. It's just. Yeah, it's miserable. Our plumbing just collapsed. We have a, a house that was built in the 50s. It was due to happen. It happened on our watch, and it's the worst. So our financial situation when Aaron died was not good. It was very bad. There was a lot of debt, a lot of debt. And I don't know. I didn't want to ask for anything. Somebody set up a like an online fundraiser because America is the worst. And obviously, like that's how we get through tragedy is we have to crowdsource our way through it. It was humiliating. It was just miserable. I felt like such a freaking loser. The average gift was $15 and we ended up with a hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. Uh, which is like, yeah, that's a lot to get all at once. That's also like not as good as having two incomes for a significant <laughs> part of your life. So to me, it felt like, oh my God, I've never seen this much money in my life. I did get to pay off Aaron's debt and I did get to pay for the funeral and I did get to make sure my mortgage was paid. And then the guilt, the shame of it all, I would just get drunk at night and go through and fill people's GoFundMes, thousands of dollars, just boop, 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 because so many people don't have that. So many people do not have a network that can do that. It absolutely crushes me that is honestly where like still kicking was developed from. Most people don't have $400 saved for an emergency. And I can tell you our emergency was not $400. That was not $400 wasn't even a quarter of the ride to the hospital in that ambulance the first time. Okay. $400 would have, would have been nice to have, would not have changed our lives. So tell us about still kicking. Still kicking is the organization that it was a hundred percent Aaron's idea. And all I did was about six months after he died, I sat down with my friend Lindsay and we just brought it across the finish line. Aaron had this thrift store t-shirt. He got it in the heyday of ironic t-shirts. So for the younger listeners, the year 2002 to 2007, we were wearing ironic t-shirts. Everyone was going to the Goodwill, getting you know old T-ball t-shirts and wearing those around. The t-shirts had to be tight too. It's like It was like the emo days. He had this one that was clearly homemade, had been Kelly Green, but was just highly distressed, threadbare, homemade iron-on letters that said still kicking that were crackled and crinkled, his prized possession, prized possession. Did not let me use it because I am sweaty. And also he was afraid I would stretch out the arms, what every woman wants to hear. He was a very thin, (laughs) tall man. I was like, thank you. Thank you. He was like, yeah, just don't wear it. Just don't wear anything else. Wear anything else. He was sick in 2011, and now there are a million ways that you could just make this idea happen. There weren't. 10 years ago, there, there just weren't. The internet was different. We did not, as I explained, as I, if you just heard my money situation, we didn't have the money to like sit on inventory to try to do things like that. Now you can do all this print-on-demand stuff, but Aaron was, he was an art director. He was a designer. He liked to make things happen. He liked to make things right he always knew how lucky we were, that we were like on the lucky side of bad luck. If luck is a spectrum, if fortune is a spectrum, we were pretty high on it. We could tell that when we went to the hospital, we could tell that in waiting rooms, we could tell. We were lucky. He wanted to recreate these shirts, sell them and give the money away. At first towards research. And then as he got sicker, he was like, 
what about people who don't have this? What about people who do not have enough, like don't have a network to pick them up? And after he died, Lindsay and I set up a website. I was like, here's what we're going to do every month. We're going to give money away to a person. That's what we're going to do. Here's the website. We printed X amount of t-shirts. We put it up. I was like, I hope that makes sense to people. And we started doing it. In the first month, we gave away $1,000. And then we started giving away like $2,000, $3,000 a month to one person. After a year, my accountant was like, so what (laughs) are you doing? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And where's like, did you pay taxes? Did you collect sales tax? And I was like, oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No. No, I set this website up and now it's just, I give the money away. Yeah. And she was like, well, where's the money? I was like, I gave it away. Try to keep up. I gave the money away. I gave the money away. The current iteration of Still Kicking is we do still have a strong retail component, but I mean, truly like the reason that we exist is to help people get through hard things. And so we have a community element to it. We do have community courses that you can take uh, if you're struggling with grief, if you're struggling to help somebody else through grief. We have a nonprofit where donations flow through and all retail sales are supported by a special benefit corporation where we do collect sales tax now. Very wise, Nora. Yes, very wise. And so now we've given away over $250,000. We meet needs now more quickly so we can help several people a month in big and small ways. Some people need $5,000. Some people just need 500 bucks. We've been doing that for this will be, we're about to celebrate our sixth year in July. And now we have two full-time employees and we have some part-time employees. I don't want to like over glorify the life of a small business. We, our goal this year is to break even, but everybody has access to a matching 401k. Everybody starts at $15 an hour, no matter what you do. We are trying to be a company that is not just a company that does good things, but a company that is a good place to work. And I think that is, it's very challenging. It's very challenging. Our items are actually designed by a woman in Minneapolis. They're hand printed by a woman in Minneapolis in most cases. And we do things in a way that costs more for us to do and in a way that I'm I'm proud of. So that's what we do. And that's where it came from. It came from that situation. From that threadbare t-shirt. <laughs> that threadbare t-shirt, which is now archivally framed and hanging in Aaron's mother's entryway. And I've seen the picture of him in it, I think, on the website, right, is when you go there? Yes, he wore it to Disney World. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. How do you find people who need this kind of support? In a lot of ways, they come to us. We have a new executive director, Jesse Ross, who, if there are people who have never heard of us who also deserve help. So he's like really tuned into the community. And sometimes he and our, our committee will find people and help them out. Some people come to us, some people we find. It's kind of a mix. But if you need help or if you need, if somebody you know does, you can just go to the website and fill out the form. It is an unrestricted grant. So by that, I mean, we don't, I believe in letting people, in letting people have the dignity of like paying their own bills, if that makes sense. I'm not going to make you send me like your water bill so that I can pay it for you and make sure the money goes there. No, I trust I do trust in the goodness of people and I trust people to do what they need to do with that money. And if what you need to do with that money is pay a car payment and also like have an afternoon where you get to go like hang out with your kids and do something fun, that's what you do with it. That's what you do with it. Absolutely. It's so important to give people that dignity to know what's best for them. 
Now, Nora, I want to talk about your experience and advice managing money through grief. But before we do, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mama, what if you were suddenly unable to handle all the things you usually take care of? Whether it's paying the bills, filing insurance claims, setting up playdates, or managing your investments, there are so many things we do in life where we're the only ones in the know. Maybe your spouse, parents, or siblings generally know where you bank or where you keep your files. I mean, you talk. But could they navigate it all without you there to walk them through it? Our Family Emergency Binder is designed to fill in all those gaps. A well-organized, easy-to-edit-and-update, fillable PDF that puts everything you need to know right at your fingertips. It's an act of love that protects the people we care about, no matter what happens. Even without emergencies, I'm thankful for our binder multiple times a year when I'm reviewing accounts, looking for the dog's vaccination records, or, well, pre-COVID, going away for the weekend without our kids. Make sure your family is prepared by grabbing your family emergency binder today at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash binder. We get a lot of questions about what managing money in grief looks like. And so the first thing you mentioned, debt. What did it look like figuring out what did you actually have to pay? What was basically done after Aaron passed? How did that process, what did that look like? It felt like panic, felt like panic, right? Like everything is like, I got to do this now. I got to do this now. I'm trying to get more comfortable with money, but money felt like I could not get rid of some of that money fast enough, right? Like there were people who need it more, who deserve it more than me. Medical bills. I tell everybody, you can call and you can get on a a payment plan and you should. And sometimes when you do the payment plan, they will knock it down. You have to realize that for anything too. It's like your kid ends up in the, the emergency room, get a payment plan. You do not need to pay that bill in full right away. The hospital will be fine. Healthcare is doing fine. Okay. Do not kill yourself trying to pay a bill. Every person that I know who has experienced loss, who's experienced grief, you know what makes everybody feel better? Spending money. It does. It does. Hot Young Widows Club filled with widows who are like, look at this car I got. I did that. I bought a car. I mean, it was $16,000. I didn't pay cash for it, but I still like bought a $16,000 car. My husband had just died and I didn't have a job. What? What? But I was like, I need it because I couldn't drive the other car. I just could not drive it anymore. It was too, it was weirdly emotional for me, but it's like, did I need an Acura station wagon? No, no. So I made so many mistakes. I made so many mistakes, but I got rid of consumer debt quickly. And in one fell swoop, right? I was just like, thunk, cannot have that. Cannot have that hanging over my head. The interest rate is crazy. And also I need to be done with that. Aaron's student loans were not my responsibility. I do not understand how, but they died with him. That was incredible. And when I called them to tell them, because I called expecting to pay it and just to say, transfer it to my name. I don't know how to do this. I just was so concerned that I would miss something and end up ruining my life. That was my main concern. I'm going to miss something. I'm going to get end up in collections I'm going to somehow ruin my life further. Can we talk for a second about how this is another sign that like the medical and financial system is broken and that you've had a miscarriage, you've lost your husband, you've lost your father, and you're worried about missing a debt payment that's going to like ruin your life. Ruin, like in complete hysteria over it. Also like what mail have I not, I've not been mail in months at this point, you know, like <laughs> just piles of it all over the house. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what, I don't know what that could be. And I don't know 
all of Aaron's logins. I don't even know. I'm like, did he have a student loan? I think he did. Yeah, let's find out. And I called and they were like, oh no. And then they call back and they're like, yeah, so if he died in, you know, November and, you know, this was on auto pay, we'll give you these two months back. I was like, oh, okay. Like, great. I, so I got that back. That's wonderful. I don't know. It just felt like it felt like absolute chaos. And I think one of the best things that we had done was we started working with a financial advisor. We had done that before Aaron died. And that relationship has like truly gotten me through like a lot of stuff to have a person where I can be like, should I buy a house right now? You know? (laughs) And he's like, no. (laughs) Um, No. Where was he on the $16,000 car though, Nora? (laughs) He was, he was not aware. And then also he was like, what the shit? You know, he's like, I mean, technically sure that's fine, but also like slow down, slow down. And I don't know. It was it was chaotic and awful. And I was so lucky to have that sort of like online fundraiser money. And also, I mean, after a funeral and after paying medical bills and paying off consumer debt and then giving it away, like it was gone. It was gone. And I had to figure out how to make money and how to live on my own, like how to live on one income and do all the parenting stuff on my own, which I know so many people have done forever. I am not the first person who has had to go through that. Hats off, by the way, to every single parent who has been a solo parent. It is so much. It is so consuming. It can be so depleting. It is so much. And you are doing a good job if you just make it through the day. And I want to talk about how you decided to go make money and what your careers looked like since then. But first, like having this information prepared ahead of time, right? Account numbers, logins, all of those things is one thing that we can do just in case. Like we never know what's going to happen. Yes, of course. Like do that. What the heck was I waiting for? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing that we hear, and so this is, and I think you and I have talked about this before, our best-selling product is our family emergency binder, which does organize all of that information. And so we hear people's stories through that on a regular basis because naturally we do not buy this product until something horrible has happened. We don't do it ahead of time because it's not how our brains work. People reach out and they're like, okay, I was a stay-at-home mom and I lost my partner and I know I need to budget and figure out how to do money, but I can't stick to my budget. What's wrong with me? And exactly what you're just saying of like, grief is a thing. Like you can't just like hope you're going to have a ton of self-control and clarity of mind as you go through that. I think that it might just be helpful. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's hard for people to, they think there's something wrong with them. They think something's wrong with them and they think like, well, I make X amount, right? Like that's like, or my person made X amount. How is it so tight? I truly, like, I was like, well, budgeting is for people who like don't have any money. But my current husband was like, bud, that's you. Like, <laughs> that's you. Are we going to get you into oh, some of our money mindset courses? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. When I met Matthew, who I'm currently married to, he was like, yeah, do you just, just, you just buy the thing that you decided you wanted? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I just, I just get it. And then I figure it out later. And he was like, this is a man who researches before buying like a $7 t-shirt and then will run the purchase by me. And I'm like, get a t-shirt. He's like, yeah, this one doesn't have great reviews though. I don't know. I think maybe I should spend the extra $2 to get the, uh, the better reviewed t-shirt. I'm like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> buy the t-shirt. <laughs> maybe buy the damn t-shirt, dude. <laughs> God. So do you guys budget together now? You and Matthew? 
Now I am so obsessed with budgeting. I wish that I would have started this in my 20s. I wish I would have done so many things in my 20s, but I was so busy, Chelsea, just getting drunk (laughs) and falling off tables. I just was not... (laughs) If I would have saved even a penny from my 20s, I would be in a much better space than I am now. I did not know how to do that. I remember my mom, when I left for college, handing me over like my logins for my bank account. And she was like, well, you're 18 now. You're in charge of your financial destiny. That was the exact sentence she said. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And online shopping had just started being a thing. I got to college, I had my own internet connection, and I had a debit card. Are you kidding me? Now I love budgeting. I love not spending money so much. I absolutely love it. I love budgeting. Today I got paid. I pay myself regularly. By the way, I've been self-employed, Chelsea, for five years. I just started paying myself regularly instead of just taking a check and being like, I'm rich. We need like, like a, an applause track here or something. Oh, no, you know, you know what we got here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like I just started. So today's payday. So now part of my Friday routine is that I go through all of my, my accounts. I go through my business credit card and I go through my business checking account. I'm in my sister-in-law's office. She does my books. I categorize every expense for her. And send it through. Then I get to go into, I use, you need a budget. That's my budgeting app that I'm so obsessed with. Oh God, I love it so much. And whenever people are like, I couldn't get into it. I was like, you need to take the webinars. You are changing the way your brain works. You need to take the free webinars there. I'm obsessed with you need a budget. This is not Spawn. It is the greatest thing in the world. It really is. That has changed our life. And I will also tell you, Two weeks ago, because our house, I mentioned our house had some problems, our money was zero days old. Zero. Because it all left to go fill a hole in our home, huge hole, and now it's up to seven days. Hey! It's up to seven. We're positive. We're we're getting there. So I had so much shame over like, well, but like, aren't I successful? Like, shouldn't a successful person have like a, a certain kind of car? And shouldn't a successful person just be able to buy what she wants? And it's like, It says who and for whom. I drive a former rental car that I love. It's a sedan. It's a Ford. It was extremely affordable and it will run for 600 years. And I plan on using it until it crumbles into the earth. Okay. Did you sell your other car, the Acura station wagon? Heck yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was like, this is absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And now I'm like, I want to know where every dollar is going and I want to consider before I buy something, is it is this something that I truly need or is this something that I am buying because I need to feel like dopamine or I need to feel like valued will just feel good. And can I tell you that psychologically I get the same effect from throwing something in a cart that I do from checking out. Just going through, going through and being like, oh yeah, I like that pair of pants and that would look good with that sweater. Filling a cart. I'm an online retailer's worst nightmare. Don't do this to my company, but do it to literally anybody else. Um, <laughs> and and just walking away. I'm like, huh, whew, just as satisfying as actually buying yet another pair. You can only wear one pair of jeans at a time, Nora. You can only wear one pair at a time. So do you really need more than three? Not really. Not really. That's my that's my take now. Yeah, I love you need a budget, Chelsea. I love I also make my heart so happy. I've seen you mention it. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Makes my heart so happy. So happy. It's so cool. 
It is fantastic. And like also just this whole story of I didn't like budgeting, I never saved a penny to now I love budgeting is like such a bomb, I think, for anyone listening who is struggled with it and like thinks that it's them and they can't figure it out. It's like, no, you can 100% have a good relationship with your money. Yes. And like my sister is such a good story. You should talk to her. She's after she was divorced. I'll just, let me just air out my sister's laundry. But like she got me into, you need a budget, you know, when she was like in her forties, I was in my mid thirties and we sat on the couch and like showed each other our computers and we're like, (gasps) like, and there was something about airing that out with each other about being like, okay, so every week I get this much money and it's already gone. What is going on? And yes, I do that with my husband, but it's different to see it in how it plays out in a different household. I've just really found a lot of, a lot of value in that. I am also like, by the way, like still learning, still learning. There's just not that the house thing happened. And I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I will tell you what we are going to do. We're in the middle of is we did not have all that cash. I also don't, I don't know if this is smart, but this is how my money works. I have to see my money in piles, Chelsea. Like I have to know, like this pile is for something. Even my money guys, like that could all be one account. I'm like, but it can't because this account is specifically for quarterly taxes. Which is actually a smart, taxes, especially having a separate account is a very smart thing to do. He's like, okay, but you could just keep track of like, I'm like, nope, no, no, no. That's a, that's an account for that. This is an account for this. This is an account for this. There was not $10,000 for if your house falls apart. Does it exist somewhere in some account that I could pull it out of? Sure. But I just didn't, I just didn't. We were doing a cash out refi of our house because the rates have dropped so far from when we bought our house. We are going to lower our payment, lower the age of our mortgage or the the yep, life term. of our mortgage term. I was like the <laughs> gestures. I was just gesturing until Chelsea gave me the word term. Okay. And pull out $15,000 that will cover, that will cover the whole and, you know, some, and a whole adjacent costs because there's the whole, and then there's like covering up the whole. So ugh, you ugh. St- are you starting a home reno sinking fund in your YNAB budget? <laughs> okay. Here's actually what I'm doing. That's controversial, but I started using this app called Digit. I have an affiliate code if you want to put it in the in the show notes for people. We will each get five dollars. Okay, this is the hustle. I love it so much. It embezzles from you, Chelsea. <laughs> it embezzles a small amount of money, squirrels it away. And again, I have to see the money in a pile. I have to see it like moved over there. So those are set up as savings accounts in my YNAB, but it's just sort of pulled out of like my instant access. So I have a digit account that the goal is to have $10,000 by 2022. The bathroom that exploded is not being finished right now. Like it is, the hole is being filled. The door will be closed (laughs) and and it will sit there until we have the money to DIY it for $10,000 and maybe hire, obviously a plumber. You never, that is just something I will not do. I will not allow my husband to do on his own. That is a skilled trade, that and electricity. No, no, no. Especially at the same time especially at the same time. No, 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 sir, 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 sir. Like you, I mean, there's not enough YouTubes for you to watch where I feel comfortable with you just like zapping stuff in our own home. Those are set up in our YNAM. And now we are, we have $560 in our digit home category. And I could just be doing that in YNAB, but I love the idea of just it stealing from me. It's just stealing from me every day. Otherwise I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. How will I get there? Or I move like huge chunks of money and then end up having to like redo it because I just don't have the self-control to say actually just $10 today. 
AI can do that. <laughs> My human intelligence cannot do that. Artificial intelligence can absolutely do that for me. Nora, what advice do you have for women who are going through grief right now? Bah, bah, bah. I, I just cannot say enough that you need to adjust your expectations. So often we are running on, on the expectation that we can go right back to the way that we ran before, right? Like we're, we're living as if like the user manual is still relevant and it's not because your entire life has changed. You are now different. What I tell people I'm trying to like work on like visualizing this is how to update that user manual so that you understand even like how you work now and who you are now. And other people can understand that too. Because usually you look the same, right? And you do have to go out and do normal people stuff. People will see you like posting an Instagram picture or like at the grocery store when we used to see people doing things. People will assume because you are doing aspects of your former life that you are the same. I think taking time to figure out truly what is different about you, how you are different and how that's okay is so, so helpful. You have to lower your expectations Grief is actually a physiological process. Your brain is is struggling. Your body is tired. Your body is is going to hold on to that. And there is not an expiration date. There is not like a certain timeline you're trying to meet. You are going to go through it and it's going to look so different for you than it did for me or that it looked for anybody else. And that is okay. It sucks. And sometimes hard things are just hard. They're just hard, period. They're not like, well, it made me stronger. Maybe, but like in the moment, if someone is basically controlling your arms and being like, why are you hitting yourself? Like, that's grief. Like, <laughs> that's grief. Like, why, why am I hitting myself? It's just really hard. And it's as hard as you think it is. It's, you're not making it up. You're not a baby. You're not being like ungrateful. It is entirely possible for your gratitude and your grief to coexist. You can understand the good things you have and still miss an ache for the things that you do not. That is excellent advice. Nora, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I'm so ready, Chelsea. Also, you're a very good interviewer. <laughs> Thank you. What is your favorite form of self-care? Oh my God. My favorite form of self-care is putting myself to sleep. Putting myself to sleep. Saying no, 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 but no, no, no. Put your put your phone in the kitchen. Go lay down. Put on hand lotion. Go lay down. The first inkling that your brain is tired, listen to it. Oh, it's only nine p.m. Shh, go to bed. It's my favorite. My favorite form of self care: getting a full night's sleep, like a disgustingly full night's sleep. Perfect, Nora. Where can people follow you and find still kicking in your books? You can find me at noraborealis.com or noramcnerney.com. They go to the same place. And then still kicking is still kicking, no G, dot co. Dot co. We could not reach a negotiation with the man who owns the dot com. And mm. that is. Now you got the dot co. Yeah, we got the dot co. And it turns out that's cool. So still kicking dot co. Mamas, we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes. Nora, thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you to everybody who listens to this. I love that you have this kind of community and we're all in this. We're all, we're all going through this. Trust me. Like we're, we're all <laughs> strong conclusion. Always <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs> Bye Chelsea. 
Mamas, I absolutely love getting to talk to Nora. Her honesty about her experiences and what it was like to go through those times is incredible, and I hope hearing her story brings comfort to some of you who have faced or are handling loss. There is no real way to prepare for the kind of loss that Nora has faced, but we can put the financial pieces in place to at least make money not a key source of stress if something was to happen, and learn to be better friends when someone we know is handling grief. As always, I've wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Nora for anyone who is handling loss. First, grief has no timeline. Don't be hard on yourself for not being the person you used to be or not having it all together. You can't rush this process. Sit with your emotions, be willing to feel the painful feelings as Nora mentioned, and when it pops up a year, two years, four years later in the grocery store as Nora shared, don't feel discouraged about it. Don't feel shame about it. This is how grief works. Find a community of people who understand what you're going through, like Nora's Hot Young Widows Club if you've lost a partner, and ask for the support you need. Second, negotiate your medical bills. Medical bills are often big and scary. Don't think you have to pay them all at once, especially if it will add more stress to your financial life right now. First off, if you have the mental space, review your medical bills and look for errors or fraud. Listen to episode 91 with Angel Salucci for exactly how to do that. If you don't have the mental space and your bills are significant, there are people you can hire who will review the paperwork and negotiate for you. Often that is much cheaper than just trying to pay it all to avoid any more phone calls, which we know there's way too many phone calls after a loss, but those people can often find ways to reduce the bills that you owe. Then call the billing department and ask how they can help, either by negotiating the bills down or creating a payment plan. And finally, third, get your finances organized as soon as possible. This includes setting up a family emergency binder, getting a proper will, and having enough life insurance. Nora mentioned the pain it was to gain access to Aaron's different accounts when she didn't have his passwords or know where all his bank accounts were. Anyone who hasn't faced grief or loss can sit and imagine how difficult it would be to unravel paperwork like that. But when you add the weight of grief, the exhaustion that goes with it, that task is almost impossible. Don't delay. Hopefully you never need these things, but having them in place will offer so much peace of mind. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Nora again for coming on the show, sharing her story and her thoughtful advice for those listening who are experiencing loss. You can find links to Nora's website, Still Kickin', and her podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Nora. I love you all, and I'm sending big hugs for anyone who is struggling right now. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. 